to Beyond the Ring, a podcast that covers all things in the stock show industry from the informative to the insane, starring Ryan Rash. I often wonder what normal people would do in the situations I am in. And Dale Hummel. I am Joe Biden, and I forgot this message. Now on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Ring. This is Dale Hummel, along with co-star Ryan Rash. Hello, hello, hello. Ryan, this is a good day. I I reflect back on last week's episode, and I forgot to mention my absolute favorite restaurant in Houston. Uh, what are you talking about now? I forgot to mention, remember when we went through all the stock shows, we talked about the unique things. Houston has a restaurant. Can't we move on from the cookie dough factory? No, this is the Rage and Cajun. Another restaurant that this Jerry Hawkins introduced me to, amazing crawfish. I Amazing. Have no idea what you're talking about. And Tell, I go to shows to drink and win banners. I'm glad that you go for cookie dough. <laughs> this was back with the judging stuff, teams. I discovered but that one. You and I have different philosophies to the livestock shows. And there are many other important things in the world. So we're glad that you got your raging Cajun out. Speaking of cookie dough, I have good news from the officials at San Antonio. They contacted me and they're in the process of trying to bring the cookie dough stand back. And that should get a Nobel Peace Prize award right there. It should. That that is that is that is customer service at its best. Okay. We're moving on now. What would you like to discuss? Uh well let's talk about the most obvious. Trump has the Rona. As do I. You have the Rona. Everybody's got the Rona. <laughs> I don't know if I have it, but my two children are in quarantine from school. Does that count? Dale, that's because you took them out of state, though. That does not mean they have grown up. I did take my kids out of state. Unbeknownst to me, you were not allowed to take your kids out of state and come back and go to school. There is no policy at our school that addresses that. There is one as of now, but at that time there wasn't, or I would have made the decision to possibly leave the kids home so they could go to school. But uh, hopefully we we, visited with the superintendent and we're – Possibly going to go get the kids tested, and maybe they'll be allowed back in. But this is an issue, and, and Ryan brought this up earlier, that the the kids such as mine going to Kansas City or Louisville, there's a lot of schools out there that are going to set them for 14 days when they come home, even though there's no real proof of exposure. And the, the practical implication of this, they can go to their local Walmart. They can go to any college town where the density of COVID is probably higher than what's going to be at these cities we're going to or some of the shows we're going to yet they're going to be penalized because they crossed a boundary or a border. I have a difficult problem with that. I think it's absolutely stupid. But, again, I tried to warn you about this, and you don't listen to me. So I don't know what to tell you. In hindsight, I should have listened, but I did briefly look at our school's website, and there was nothing. And it will be on the front page as of tomorrow, by the way. So we're, we've made progress. At least we'll know what the rules are and, and can adjust and make those decisions. And I don't have a problem. I know it's difficult time. and I know it's hard to navigate through this for schools. And I, I just wish we could implement some level of common sense and science and realize that all these protocols we're putting in place are, are a bit of a joke. We're ta- Wait, sir, you just talked about common sense and science, and yet you have self-diagnosed yourself with the Rona, but well, you have I, not I told us how. I, I may, you yeah, said yeah. you had it. <laughs> well, I'm, my kids are quarantined. I must have been in, a, in, a, in an area that was COVID heavy, apparently. Do you have I symptoms? They, I have I have a slight runny nose. And because you have a slight runny nose, you have went on for 24 <laughs> hours about you having the Rona. 
<laughs> and they are harvesting outside of my my property right now, and their allergies are pretty high, and I have grown into a few allergies. And that has so I'm, nothing I'm, to do with your runny nose. No, I'm I'm probably okay nothing. on that. But at, here at some point, I'm so gonna, therefore you, like- you going on for the last twenty four hours about how you have the Rona has been bullshit. You it's, just want to be hysterical and dramatic. <laughs> I'm hoping that I have the Rona so I can get over it and be done, have antibodies, and no longer have to well, deal with it. Well, if you would just wear a mask, you would be fine. I do not believe that. Uh, I don't either. I was being sarcastic, sir. Did you hear the governor of California, what his, his now thoughts you have? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you about <laughs> this nonsense. Oh, my. Okay. Oh, unbelievable. So, first off, when this whole mask protocol bullshit came out, There was five things that you couldn't do with your mask. Two of the five were touch it with your hands (laughs) and remove it on and off. Now, idiots like your governor in California, Gavin Newsom, he now wants you to put your mask off and on, which would require taking it off and on and touching it in between bites while you're eating. And they only have outdoor dining in California. It is unbelievable. Where, how, how can a person be elected governor? Well, because he's kin to Nancy Pelosi. That's how he got elected. But it unbelievable. And then, then somebody allows him to post this out there for the world to see, and nobody says, "Hey, you've lost your mind." Oh no, no nobody said he's lost his mind. I was in Mississippi at a casino, sitting at a bar, and I was informed that if I did not put my mask on in between taking. Drinks of my cocktail, I would have to leave. And you did not leave? No, I finished my drink. (laughs) And then left? Well, I might have had five or six more after that, but then I left, yes. (laughs) Like, this is insane. It's getting, my my point is, it's getting worse instead of better. How is that possible? Once Trump went into Walter Reed, and I had a lot of downtime on an airplane, and I, I jumped into research mode. And would you like me to tell you about it? Dale, since you told me Trump was dead, go right ahead. I can. I can. I can go into this. And by the way, I, I, I flew to the state of Oregon once again. And as we're flying to get my connection in Seattle, we're circling and hold because of weather. And our plane decides we have to divert to Spokane because we were out of fuel. So two two trips to Oregon in a row, I get diverted. And you tell me you never have these issues. I do not have nearly as much drama on airplanes as you do, sir. I, I was much better as far as my anxiety had it. My wife. I have lost an engine before, but it was a long time ago, like you did. But I mean, it, it was a very long time ago. <laughs> but no, I've never been diverted to another airport because we were going to run out of fuel. I will say that has never happened to me. The research that I came up with, and, and I actually took this very serious when Trump went into the hospital. If you listen, it's hard to maybe figure out exactly how how bad a shape he was in, but they're like they would like to make out that his pulse ox dropped dramatically, that there were some issues there. I'm surprised he went to the hospital unless there were some because he's that's not his style. He's he's gonna avoid doing that unless necessary. But but beyond that, I, I gathered data from everywhere. I'm not gonna share every statistic with you, but I would like to summarize you, a few things. <laughs> okay. Ryan, there is a plan that will work if implementation could be possible. I'm confident of this. If we think that lockdown and contact tracing and wearing masks are the answer, we've we've lost our mind. Look at Sweden. Look at where they're at. It's amazing how they've proven a protocol works. And did they have some high numbers in the initial 
I guess, exposure to COVID as a country? Absolutely. Look at all the other European countries out there right now that are going through a huge second wave. Those countries that were locked down really, really tight. All we're doing by locking this down with a contagious virus is lengthening the time the virus is in the environment. If we allow herd immunity, then vaccinations can be a part of that and, and a very valued part of that. We can actually expose those that are at low risk, take all of our resources, and lock down the vulnerable, the high-risk vulnerable people that are out there. Let's do everything possible to isolate them. And the best thing that we can do with that is immediately open up, forget the mask, forget everything for the kids, for the younger people, for anybody that does not have a health issue. You need to go back to life as normal. I had a chance to see footage out of Sweden, and they're living a completely normal life. No mask, no social distancing. They're back to normal. I'm not saying they're completely past the pandemic, but they're very, very close to that. They are not going to have a second wave because they have basically herd immunity. Once a vaccine comes out, it strengthens that herd immunity, takes it to another level. And if we stop and, and look at this in hindsight, and I was as paranoid as anybody when we did not know much about this virus. Remember one of those early episodes, the entire Tyvek suit going to the airport to, to ship out a cat? Oh, I, re- I still have the pictures. I'm going to take as many precautions as I can when there's an unknown. But we know now, and we can look back in hindsight and use different countries and different protocols as an example. And it is easy for me that we simply lengthen the time that virus is in our environment by locking down, by not exposing the healthy. If we want to protect the vulnerable, and if we can put all of our resources towards the vulnerable and not the worthless test on on the young kids or the healthy, that it just doesn't matter that they're going to have mild symptoms or asymptomatic, contact tracing, all of this, to me, it's nothing more than spinning our wheels. The other countries, especially some of the European countries, it's, it's accomplished nothing. Yeah, does it keep numbers down low? Canada's had fairly low numbers under extreme lockdown, but wait. The second wave is coming unless they can stay locked down all the way into a uh, openness of, of vaccines that are available for everybody. So it's 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 there. It's it's easy for me. Denying herd immunity is like controlling Ryan's Snapchats. Can't be done. Cannot. <laughs> That's funny. He made it funny. <laughs> Way to go! You got our sense of humor for once. If, if we're ever going to get through this, we have to allow the healthy portion of our population to become immune to it. If we allow the healthy portion of our population to become immune, all of a sudden, we're not the carriers. We're not allowing that advi- that virus to transmit from one to another and live in the environment. So by doing that, in essence, we're shortening that pandemic period and we're protecting those that are truly vulnerable. And there's a lot of people out there talking about this that are very science-based and, and some of the most brilliant minds in the world. But for some reason, we can't seem to get through the political bullshit and understand this. It's it's amazing to me. Trump has not done a poor job handling corona, but rather under immense pressure, he has handled as best the available science has allowed, especially considering the state's rights and their independent decision-making. There's not a solution that life will or would not have been lost. Moving forward, in my mind, if we want to reduce the loss of life, we allow herd immunity to take place. If not, we're going to prolong this virus. It's going to continue until vaccine basically gives us that herd immunity. We have the opportunity to get a jump start on that. And I think we have to a certain point in certain states because those governors have opened things up. 
And the fact that vaccines can be a part of this and we're not that far away from it, it seems so logical. If we want to protect the vulnerable, turn the masses loose, go back to a normal life, I am confident that it's the best route. Will we still lose lives? We will, but I think we'll lose less. And I'm not trying to say this from a selfish standpoint. I'm not trying to say we need to not worry about the vulnerable. I'm taking this path of opening wide up. And just like the example that that Ryan used with our governor of California wanting to take your mask on and off, we have been told so many times that our hand to face, our hand to mouth, that is not a good plan. This implementation of opening up, protect the vulnerable, I think it would work. I think we I think we're gonna have to get there at some point. We're just dragging it out politically because we have a fraction of our, our political environment that that just does not want to let that happen for some unknown reason. I think this can be put a lot simpler than what you put it. So I'm going to try to work that out Please. for you. I did not share any numbers, no statistics. No. If Trump can be infected with Rona, that is the most protected, guarded person in the United States, much less the world, probably. And if he can get it, no one cannot get it. Everyone is going to be... Once he's got it, how can you not think that everyone's not going to get it? Like, that that's just common sense. I mean, he's been tested as much and everybody around him as anything. That shows you how valuable these COVID tests are in contact. That test tells you you're negative at that moment. The protocols put in for the people around him and him in terms of testing, all this stuff, are the most stringent probably of any human being in the world. And he still got it. Therefore, all of us common people, we're going to get it. We're going to be exposed to it, etc. I have no doubt that I have either had it and been asymptomatic or had mild symptoms. I've had to be exposed to it. I've traveled to 20-something states since, you know, this hit. There's no way. But again, I don't know that because I've never had a positive test. And... I haven't been sick. And, the, uh, you know, you go through the symptoms and all this other stuff. The one, the only thing that makes me still question if I have or have not had it is I never lost my sense of taste. Of course, now, if you would see the men that I have dated, you would know that was never a strong suit for me anyway. <laughs> but I'm just saying, if the president can get it, everybody going to get it. So you might as well just move on, open up. Return back to your life unless you are one of those people that is in the very high risk that this virus can really do a number on you. And we need to support them financially with resources, whatever we need to, the nursing homes, all these places with vulnerable people. I I, I would dump as much resources as we can into that, and, and we haven't because we're spending it on so many worthless things. That, that a, I mean, yes, absolutely lock them down, let herd immunity build, let it, the vaccines come into play, and we get through this finally. And, and I think we're moving in that direction. I don't know why we can't look at other parts of the world as an example and, and just follow the lead. And in hindsight, it seems very, very easy for me. And Ryan put it so well. It, I think Trump's example is, is as good as it gets. And this whole wearing the mask thing, and I'm I'm wearing a a mask or a, I don't even know what you call it a sunscreen that you'd wear fishing when I go on these airplanes, and it it filters basically nothing. I'm touching my mouth all the time, trying to pull it away to to make it easier to breathe. It's it's a challenge, 
And I'm not trying to be heartless or, or not sympathetic towards those that are vulnerable, just the opposite. I truly believe lock down the vulnerable as tight as we can. Give them the resources. Don't go. Exactly. Okay. Like seriously. Again, and this goes beyond past vulnerable people. If you are scared, stay your ass at home. Yeah. But the rest of us want to go and do things and live our life. And there are situations that I, that I feel a little sorry for. I'm going on flights, and Ryan, I'm sure you've witnessed this. There's there's a lot of elderly people still flying, probably as many as as I remember before the pandemic. Absolutely, there are. But again, they made that choice. Nobody forced them to get on an airplane. I mean, you'd assume it's for a reason out of their control, but there's so many that it does. It just the numbers don't seem any different than they were. What is the reason out of their control? I don't know. Maybe a medical appointment across. I I don't know. Yeah, that maybe there maybe there isn't you one. You can get in a car and drive. Good point. Very good point. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, granted, flying is the easiest way to get there, but unless it is a medical emergency, which if you were in a Medical emergency, I don't think you'd be going commercial. No. <laughs> you'd be going lifeline, helicopter. <laughs> and and I go back to, to um, we're help trying to assist with these judging teams in Illinois to, to be allowed to go to Louisville or Kansas City and the crap that these presidents are putting in place for the hurdles to get across. Some of the things that they're in, trying to implement are about as crazy as our governor in California about taking your mask off between bites. How can presidents of colleges, governors of states, I'm beginning to believe that the the country is is less intelligent than I once thought. Oh, we're glad you came to that realization now. Don't think it's all of the country. I think it's somehow the people that got put in power. But anyway, so yeah, that's the Corona deal. But there's other other. I know if you watch the news, that's the only news is that Trump has Rona. But there are other newsworthy events out there, which the fact that Biden is now not going to debate because he's because. Trump has Rona, so he doesn't think there should be a debate. Which, the Trump campaign is pushing back on the fact that if Trump has, according to the debate rules, all that actually has to happen is if Trump goes there and has a negative test, it's game on. But they even went further and said that they would go for three three days of consecutive negative tests. But by the debate rules that were put in, once he gets to the location or whatever, if he's tested negative, then the debate's game on. But Biden no longer thinks it's a good idea to debate, which, of course. And I'm curious as to this debate committee, how, how this negotiations actually take place and, and who's the final authority on it. Uh, that I can't tell you. But it's supposed to be bipartisan. It's not seeming that way, but that's what it's supposed to be. Well, I'm assuming if one of them doesn't agree to something, just like Biden doesn't agree to this, he just doesn't show up. Oh, no, yeah. No, that's how it works. Like, if they then, I mean, they can't debate if one of them bows out. But again, I don't know why why Biden wouldn't want this debate, because his former intern is the moderator. That is that is hard for me to accept. Dale, I don't make this shit up. It's real. I know. I, I am aware of it. I, I just, obviously, Trump had to agree to it. Assumably, that was the only way he's going to get a second debate, or I don't know. But I it it is... It is beyond my realm of understanding. And then last night, Trump has done something official to take all the redaction out of all of the Hillary email, Russian collusion, all this other stuff, which, again, I don't know if that's going to produce anything else or change. I mean, I don't I know that 
homeboy's still working on his report or whatever, and that's got to go to the DOJ before anybody can get charged or charges come up. But, like, I'm just wondering if this comes out, if that's going to, like, make anybody in America go, whoa. <laughs> like, I, I would hope so, but I, to me, there's already been enough out, and it, it doesn't seem to stick. He seems to think that it's going to change, though, when there's not redactions. But I, I don't know. But I hope. Well, I mean, that's literally the only thing that I've seen since Trump got Rona. Was Trump as Rona, and now there's this. We've definitely redirected off of Hunter Biden and the money he received from Moscow and a few other places. Oh, yeah. That, that, that doesn't exist anymore. Sorry. Next. <laughs> uh, the other thing that's in the news, Dale, that I want to bring up is your favorite couple of all time. The gun-wielding <laughs> McCloskeys. That you love so much. I, I, I do. I do admire them. They have been indicted. I, I am against that. I would send money. I would do anything to support those two. They did nothing wrong. And this is this not is according to a grand jury of their constitutional. I, I grand disagree. jury of their peers says unlawful use of a firearm and evidence tampering. They didn't shoot anybody. I'm just telling you. Dale, I don't make the news. This is what happens. I know this does not fit in your little bubble, but this is what is the truth. But you did not agree with them standing in front of their home on their property with a gun. That no, is my problem. I did not. I still do I not. I don't understand that. You, you are smarter than that. I do not think that, that you should get to wave guns at people that are walking down the damn road. No, I don't think so. But Ones that were breaking through a gate, a security gate to get down that road, and they weren't. Trying to get them. They were trying to get Beetlejuice. They should have let them go. <laughs> I I feel bad for that couple. They did nothing wrong. Evidence tampering, Dale? I don't know about that part of it, but I think it's it's just under the situation. Indicted by a jury of their peers. <laughs> to to get off of these charges is just. Oh, sweet mother I'm sending of mercy. Money. Oh, God. Good. Any other any other worldly current events that you'd like to discuss before we move on to our topic? Trump has Rona. Yes, I'm aware of that. Yes. Just want to make sure. Yeah, want to make sure everybody's. Hear. I don't know. He's probably close to testing negative. Give him a few more days. Maybe he'll be negative. I don't know, but like he got in and out of that hospital real quick. That's good. It still shocks me that he went, but uh, I'm sure there's Dale. You were. Having an emotional meltdown via text message telling me he was dead. Uh, to me, if in my mind, if he was going to check himself into the hospital, it had to be pretty bad, which maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It doesn't appear as though it was. So it surprises me that he even went to the hospital with everything that they could probably bring to the, the White House. That did confuse me and concern me. <laughs> the most. It did. Yes. Dale was also trying to figure out what protocols were in place to get Trump taken off the top of the ballot and put somebody else on there. He just doesn't want people to know that. No, and I did look into that. And and what would happen is he still stays on the ballot. And at time of inauguration, they go through the whole procedure and basically bring Biden into the presidency. I don't know what happens for a vice president at that point. Not Biden. bring, Bring Pence. I apologize. So the vice president would still would basically become the president if something would happen after the election, before inauguration. Yeah, it's a very confusing scenario. Evidently. Glad that they have a protocol for it, though. Are you ready? Yeah. For what? (laughs) Past, present, and the future of collegiate livestock judging. There you go. Rewind the clock way back there. In the beginning, why... 
How, when did this happen? Why did it happen? What was going on? I have not a clue, sir. I did try to research it, and there's not much available information out there other than it began as a supplement to the animal sciences curriculum, basically as, as part of a class to let's go out and look at differences in livestock. And at that time, they were focused on the purebred slash commercial emphasis. It obviously wasn't directed towards the show ring necessarily, but the two were much closer then. So there, there's just not a lot of documentation of the first official livestock judging competition. Uh, but one can assume discussion and training over what type of animal to select for a breeding operation has gone on since the very beginning of the development of individual ownership of livestock. You, you obviously are making decisions when you turn a male in with females to breed them. And I mean, in essence, we, we started this very long time ago, and I, I don't know for sure when it was formalized. But think about all the, all the trends we'd gone through over the many years. At one time, hogs produced primarily for lard. Remember the baby beef era that, that Tom talked about? Oh, yeah. Oh, just amazing when, when Tom Burke tells us that we, we tried to select. They had judging contests back then? They had judge, they've had judging contests for a long, long time. And I, I'll do more research to try to find out maybe where the first documented one was. But, yeah, they, they definitely had them in the early 1900s some manner maybe not as we look at it today but in some manner Um, but the continual change in type was was once driven by commercial demand now it's driven by something i don't know maybe driven by ryan we'll say i'm not sure what a good example of why we should teach students to evaluate a specific type rather than try to get them to break down structural soundness and and differences in composition rather than saying here's our ideal animal because we know that's going to change and if that's all we can teach them is to imprint one image in their mind, unless that image involves all the others, which it may, um, it's difficult sometimes. I think that regardless what you're doing, if you're on a judging team, I think every judging team coach in America should take their judging team to a Brahmin show and they will learn everything they ever need to know about structure from there on out. Just trust I me. I like that. But I don't know if it's going to fit our image of everything being straight lines and square. No, I didn't say what was good about structure. I said they would learn everything about structure. (laughs) As we move into current day livestock judging competition and and the basic evaluation or training of students, Ryan, do we we train students to just sort four animals in a class? Or are we to train them to better understand where each individual fits into the larger picture as a breeding piece or as an outlier? I don't know what the best answer is to that, or all coaches are, are obviously taking different approaches to it. What What are your thoughts? Well, I think now more than ever, we should just train them to evaluate the livestock and understand the good and the bad and the kind of gray areas in all of them. And then, of course, you're going to give them each coach has a different theory on how things are placed or they are. But I think for a long time, and I think even still some today, collegiate livestock judging is not about training kids to see the differences in livestock. It's to train them to get that class to fort right. And a lot of that, whether people want to hear this or not, is hedging in terms of what they think that committee will look for and stuff like that. And that's just the truth. And when we think about trying to win the judging contest and in right, wrong, or indifferent, the way things are structured, 
it's probably more beneficial to train somebody to sort those four and hedge and 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 try to fit what they believe that committee is going to do. That's how you win. That's what I'm saying, sir. And and I don't know that I like it. I don't. I'm not saying it's the ideal, but that's just kind of where it's been. And I think it might be a little different now, a little more progressive. But I don't think we've reinvented the wheel yet. Well, do you think we're training kids to or to train kids to go out and sort shows, or actually to make selection decisions in what some would call the real world? I I do not think livestock judging trains anyone how to go out there and sort a show. Now, that's just me. I can tell you that from my personal experience. I can tell you that from a lot of people that I respect as judges, that that hasn't been their personal experience. Again, it might have trained them in some areas to, you know, perhaps read some things they weren't as comfortable about. And, like, I do think that it gives everyone, like, if you were a cattle kid coming in, then you probably have a better knowledge of sheep, goats, and pigs on how to sort them when you're done. But I don't I don't think it trains anybody for how to become an outstanding or respected judge once you leave turning in your cards. Now, that's just me. I think it probably addresses a little bit the ability to speak and present yourself. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be we need to sound like a set of reasons out there in the show, but at least getting them in front of people and in discussing using appropriate livestock terminology. I think it's I think it goes that that direction maybe gives them a little more confidence to go out in that ring that hey, we've gone through this many hours of practicing and evaluating structure and muscle and finish and and those things. So maybe a stepping stone, but but you're right. I don't I don't know that anything directly correlates or prepares you to go sort animals in the show ring well then does it prepare you to go make breeding decisions at home i would say no (laughs) but again this this is my opinion i think the positives that come out of collegiate livestock judging is like i just said i think if you were predominantly one species beforehand you become a more well-rounded knowledgeable sorter of all species of livestock i think i think the big things that you take from it are the connections you make without people throughout the United States, meeting them at contests, getting to know them, uh, of course. And that goes with just not just your fellow judges, but the contest officials, the your coaches, things like that. I do think that you learn some wonderful things in terms of, you know, as you said, public speaking. But I think most kids at this point at a college level have had far more public speaking experience than ever before, because I think that is something that is in the front and high schools and junior highs and stuff. I don't think it's as definitely something that is out there more than what it used to be in terms of they're forcing kids to public speak more before they ever get to college. I think they learn things about teamwork and learning how to deal with personalities. And that was the one thing that I took from it more than anything else probably, is when you're in a small confined space with people that you may not always like all the time, but you have to work together for a common goal. You have to learn how to adjust and deal with those personalities. So I think there are wonderful, wonderful things that come 
from the livestock judging process at a high school or college level, but I'm not sure that it is the things that when you just hear livestock judging, I don't think the things that immediately come to your mind are what are the greatest things you get from it. Okay. We need to back up just a little bit here. You're trying to tell me that you learned how to deal with other personalities and accept it in a small confined place. Oh yeah. I was the most hated bitch in the van by far. I don't think, I think many, many students on livestock judging teams learned to deal with that, but I don't, I don't think it worked with you. Oh, it had to. No, I don't think it did. We won. I'm not arguing that part. I'm just saying I, I have a feeling you you maybe have had teammates that you still, you, from the beginning to the end, you had a difficult time with. Oh, uh, no. we. I only speak to two of them. But <laughs> we still didn't kill each other and made it through a whole year. And yeah, So you did make it. So, yeah, I didn't mean, normally I would have just took their heads off. I mean, but. The, so you, you, you reeled back. Right. Yeah, I'm no. telling you, that is the biggest thing I took from being in that van and going all them places with a bunch of people that didn't like me and I didn't like, is I learned how to handle it. And maybe if your mother would have put you on a school bus, you could have experienced some of that earlier in life. I don't think that has anything to do with it, but moving on. It might. No. Some of the long-term benefits, and, and I think Ryan's right, and we'll go back to some of the other things, but just real simple, and and, and I do think there's more emphasis placed upon speaking in other areas than maybe there was initially or a while ago. But teaching youth how to speak and present themselves is good no matter what tool we use to do that. And there's no question this does that. And some of the life lessons that come along with this, and and Ryan, when I was coaching, I don't know if you would have agreed with this or not. I think you would have to a certain point that that it was for a common goal. But I I would take control of pretty much everything those students were doing. I had a person that would cut their hair exactly as I wanted. They were required to go to that person. They had no choice. They were all required uh, to send clothes to a specific dry cleaner. I would go shopping for the sports jacket, shirt, pants, boots, all those things with them. They oh, would well, dress. That would have never worked with you and me. <laughs> no, that would not have. But I mean, I, I took complete control, and it it did send some structure. Um, there were life lessons, no, no question. I can remember one student that I, I could not get through to, very intelligent student um, in terms of grades and schoolwork. This one would show up with contest clothes wrinkled from head to, to, to toe every single time he was going into a contest, like he wadded those up and jammed them somewhere intentionally. But just, just amazing to me. And I think in, at that time, and I haven't coached for quite a while, you could get away with being a bit harder on a student when they made a stupid mistake. Don't know if you could get along with that quite as well. Do you remember the young man I, I brought up last episode about turning in the blank horse card at Fort Worth? Uh-huh. That I mentioned that? He contacted me. He was uh, driving back from, I believe, the Eastern Junior Regional Pig Show. And he said he's minding his own business. And all of a sudden, he hears me talking about that blank card, reminding him of that blank card. Um, I remember it fairly well, but not quite as well as as, as he remembers it. He has um, a vivid memory, I'm assuming. He does. He he reminded me that I may have threw the card at him and told him to live with this blanking mistake the rest of your life. Hmm. I've in, in hindsight, I I if I actually did make such comments, it may have been inappropriate, but it was pretty You're common at that, that time. I, I did apologize if I made that at this 
point, I apologized to him. But you know what? He came out and, and was very open with it. Hey, he deserved it. And I, I don't know that current day students would take upon that same action. I had a, a great story from Houston. Remember that, that restaurant I mentioned, Raging Cajun? Oh, God. Here we're back on the food, people. It, it is a good story. There, I had a student that no matter where we stopped, if we were at a workout, a gas station, a restaurant, getting in the van from, to leave the school, last one in every time. I mean, by several minutes for some unknown reason, had no concept or care of others waiting on him or anything like that. So we're at, at this Raging Cajun. It's on the north side of Houston, and the Houston Stock Show Rodeo is towards the southern side. Would that be accurate, Ryan? Yes. So it's, it's probably a 10, 15, 20-minute drive anyway. So we're, we're there eating. We all finish up eating. We get in the van, and he's not there. I wait three or four minutes, send somebody in to, to, to look for him, to get him out. It's time to go. We need to go give some reasons. Goes in the restaurant, comes out, said, I can't find him. And I, I'm furious. What do I do, Ryan? Send out SWAT? No, I just leave. Oh, I go well, back to the hotel. Now. And this wasn't in the day of everybody having cell phones or anything like that. So I leave very upset about it, tired of waiting on this kid. About two or three hours later, he shows up at the hotel. I, I To this day, I'm not sure how he got there and didn't say much about it. He jumped right in the reasons order, and, and we kind of left it as is. But those kind of things, I'm, I'm sure he still remembers this situation to this day. And after that, he, he was not late anymore. So it's it's there, there are a lot of life lessons. So you're saying you made him punctual by leaving him deserted in the middle of Houston. I, I believe that was, I believe it worked out that way. Today, he may have gotten shot. I mean, there could have been a lot of things that went wrong, but it, it, it seemed to work out. We're real glad that you're retired from coaching right now. I, I think I'd be fired if I wasn't retired. <laughs> it would have been, been about what it came down to. But if we, so, so there are life lessons, and, and, and Ryan and I are going to talk a little more about different things and, and how to be competitive in, in livestock judging, but the life lessons are are deep and and i i can't even begin to say well this this level of competition that we're at at the collegiate level and even some at the high school level the time commitment from the coaches the students that are required to compete at the national level is more than most can imagine if you're going to jump in and and try to be competitive you're going to have to make this a priority and you're going to miss out on other activities no question this level of competition um self discipline's required it's proof that, that such individuals are those that will find a way to succeed in life. If they're going to commit to something and, and go after it that hard and, and be successful, I think it's a good sign that we're going the right direction in life. So there's, there's a lot of benefits that, that certainly aren't on the surface when you think livestock judging. But with, with that, Ryan, we're, we're in a, an era with COVID and, and just the evolution of things. What do you think, and, and this is something that you and I haven't talked about, but I would send my students through a competition that would require them to make rib fat estimations, ribeye estimations, percent muscle, all, all species in terms of carcass estimations. What they would look at did the, you just say? <laughs> they would look at the animals live one day. They were in the cooler the next day, and they'd go observe the, the cooler or the carcasses and take measurements and be able to reflect back what did that animal look like live. Here's what his actual measurements are. What do you think of, of these judging students having to go through something like that to see the differences? Here's how we are live. Here's what it is in the cooler. Who does that? That is a contest we used to call the Xarban. Oh, that. Yeah, I didn't participate in that nonsense. 
Oh. <laughs> I, I was like, wait, you did this? Like, on your... I was like, oh, no, the exorbitant contest, yes. No, I, I, I do know about that, whatever. I thought you were talking about you did this as you were teaching children it, the livestock judging thing. We, we did. I did involve my freshmen in that when they're preparing for one of the practice contests for Exarban that, in my mind, benefited them their sophomore year, having a little better understanding of composition. And, and when they use the word quality grade or yield grade, they actually understand what the what the, the formula is. How do we calculate that? What's the purpose? I mean, do you, do you think there's any reason for them to understand how yield and quality grades are determined or how grids work at a packing plant to be on a judging team? Uh, no. See, I, I, I still, I still hold on to some of that and, and I, I feel strongly they need to understand a little bit of it. I'm not saying we need to, to dwell into it maybe as deep as we were at one time, but if we did some of that, I think that they would have a better understanding when they throw out there. that. How do you think that's going to, I need you to explain to me how you think understanding that is going to make them more successful in the collegiate judging arena. I think it, it, it enables them to better evaluate composition. Again, I'm going to ask one more time. And how does well, that make it, you think they're going think to about, Think about some of these these heifers that are out there, and they've just got them hog fat and, and being able to And see when that was or, the last time you were at a contest that somebody beat the best heifer in the contest because she was too fat? You, you are correct. That is, that is probably the, the real <laughs> truth of it, and it's, it's not good. Okay, so again, I'm, I'm what about let's let's go back to another one. What about when they make a maybe maybe the judging teams aren't making any comments about yield or quality grade, but if they talk about a more desirable quality grade. What what makes it more desirable? Why? All right, well, here's my thing on this, and I know this is going to like ruffle yours and a whole bunch of people's feathers, and that's quite all right because I'm used to doing that. I would much rather when kids come in and talk a set of reasons to me on a market class. Because, again, I do not think there is a great deal of correlation in any species to what we are looking for and promoting and using in a show ring that has to do anything with what is going to yield quality and whatever else at a packing plant. There's the minutest of correlation in between them. So what I would rather you hear is you come in, you be accurate, and then don't give me a carcass line that is wrong. Because that is my problem with the carcass terms, is and maybe this does go to your point some. I think the majority of the carcass terms that these kids have been using the past couple of years do not fit what they're saying. And, and that's so, because they have no understanding of it. Okay, so then just don't do the carcass term. Just leave it out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's that's the safe route. I would rather educate them and, and allow them to use it properly. Oh Lord. <laughs> just okay. So let's let's look at this. When so, was the last time you heard someone say something about the Grand Champion Steer at a state fair or a major show that had anything to do with their carcass? Oh, you forget who we have at the Illinois State Fair for judges. Do you remember a Dr. Skaggs in your lifetime? At Ugh, I don't believe he said that stuff. But anyway, oh, I think so. What about um, yeah? He no, talked that I, on the Grand Champion Steer. I don't. I don't remember exactly. what he exactly said on the now, Grand Champion. I'm sure Doctor Skaggs did throw in some carcass terms there. I didn't say they don't throw. No, I thought the, he the just... people that don't throw in carcass terms. I am asking when it was close or an important decision was on the line. 
Adam Bader Show, Earth State Fair, I want to know the last time, and this is in any species, they say, this one beats this one because carcass XYZ. Tell me when. I I cannot. Exactly, you cannot. I'm not saying it does not come into exactly, play. Exactly, you cannot. We we have evolved. So so let's exactly, let's relate you it. Cannot. <laughs> relate it back to the judging contest. So we've went from officials, let's say officials 20 years ago to today's officials. You may have had some older breeders in there 20 years ago that went through You had to have program. four carcass terms in every set when I and and I think that the reality of it is we were still relating the judging contest and preparing students to relate it to the real world more than just relate it to the show ring. But it wasn't right then either. I'm just saying. I did it no, because I, that's I what agree. it took to win, but it didn't make any sense back then either. But I think that's that's what it was. It was more geared toward what I call the real world where we've definitely evolved where most of the judging contest, those animals are being placed more like they would in the show ring than they would in the real world. Can we agree there's a difference there? Oh, I think there's, yeah. And that's that's what I struggle with is I don't I don't know. I, I guess I just need to accept we're strictly sorting these as we would in a show. Why would we not be doing that? Why should it not be more that way? I still hold on to, to wanting to put some value into where do they fit into the real world. So you would rather we go back to, which basically there are people that still put some emphasis on this. We should just weigh them, and whoever highest performing first, second, third, fourth, because you know good and well that is something almost every judging team coach in America at least 10 years ago told their students. I would agree, and, and biggest to littlest, all those things. No, I, I don't believe that serves well, that's a what lot you're of, saying, sir. No, I think we need to maybe emphasize a little bit more on – I have no problem if we have actual birth dates and performance date. I don't even want to go down that whole track. But if we had all that information, then, yeah, I could put some emphasis on it. But I think some correlation to how they're going to get along in the real world is not a bad thing. But it makes it very confusing because that's where I where I get caught is, wow, even, even when I was coaching, and this would have been in the, the mid-90s to late 90s, it was a transition where, wow, depending on who the official is, we're going to have to maybe what Ryan would call weigh them, and, and that's the honest truth, or we're going to have to sort them maybe like we would in the show ring, and you had to adjust at that time to what that official committee was, and it, and it was a challenge where I think at this point, and, and Ryan's more familiar with it probably than I would be at this point, we have a lot more officials that are probably more attuned to the show ring. Even though a lot of these are breeders and raising livestock, they're raising livestock for the show ring. And I think there's there's no question. I have to agree with the gay that if we're going to get through a judging contest, we're going to get through it and do much better if we sort those stock just like we would in the show ring. And I, I still don't understand what's wrong with that. But no, I'm okay. It's just I'm just saying it was a, a transition that I fought with because you don't you didn't know from one contest to another or one official to another for sure what way they were going to go. Oh, no, I get that part. But, like, I just, again, now more than ever, like, this program is so beneficial in so many areas. But I think if we are going to make it even more beneficial than what it is in terms of the fact, like you were trying to say, will this help them be a better judge in an actual ring, or will this, you know, stuff like that, then – we kind of got to train them more to pick them 
the way they would be aligned in the show ring. Because I think more than e- now more than ever, and even though I find difficulty with this, I don't know about the purpose when they originally started livestock judging teams in college and whatever. I know my generation and every generation since, and probably even a few before, like you were on a livestock judging team because that's what you had to do to get to sort stock shows. And, you know, it was the more successful you were that helped you. Now I think we are actually getting to a point that if you have been like, it used to be if you were on a national champion team, that was huge, huge thing. And I think still think it is. And it's one of the greatest achievements of my life. But I think back then that resin, I think in terms of getting to judge those big shows and stuff like that, maybe that's not as big a resume boost now as it used to be. I think if you've been through the process and you've gone through and you've had that experience, now I think everyone's kind of more on an equal footing. Do you agree with that? So you're thinking kind of like a participation award, just go through the process and it works. I'm I'm not saying that per se, but I don't think that decisions are being made on all levels depending on how well you did in collegiate contests as much as they used to be. I agree completely with that. I, okay, I'm not so then why are you trying at... to why, why are you trying to talk <laughs> smack? It's 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 good for you, uh-huh. but no. And at one time it was more important. I don't I don't believe it is at this point. The reasons, and we'll have an entire podcast on it, the reasons some people are hired to judge certain shows, it has absolutely nothing to do with their ability or their experience or their past judging contest experience. I mean, none of the above. So it's, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little frustrating. Let's talk a little bit uh, while we're on this about, about oral reasons and what we would expect and what we want to hear and maybe how, how it has evolved. Just like you, you talked about carcass terms. You just assume if they could put one in there and it was accurate, you're good with it. But maybe it's a safe route. Just take it out. I don't have a problem with them having carcass terms at all. I have a problem when the carcass terms are not accurate. And like I said, the last few years, there have been more inaccurate carcass terms than there have been accurate terms that I have. And I think that goes, I think that goes back to what we have, we have talked about and the reasons they, they just don't understand it. And somebody maybe said, you need to put one in there and not understanding it and throwing one in there. That's going to cut your throat. The other thing is, if you're going to put a carcass term in there, it needs, I feel like for it to be effective, it needs to be based on why you placed said animal over the other. And again, like I said earlier, I don't know how much relevance there is in the actual show ring to that anymore. But no, I'm not saying don't use carcass terms. What I'm saying is if you're going to use them, make sure that A, number one, they're accurate. And B, number two, it is important in the decision-making on that pair. I would agree. And you you brought up the let's make it accurate. I And maybe I'm wrong, but I think right now more than ever, we have a lot of students coming through that that can present pretty well. And I think we've we've mastered that at the coaching level very well, and we're bringing students in that that get along well speaking. But that accuracy thing is probably as important now as it's ever been. And there's been times, and, and especially at the high school level, and even into junior college, 
you just throw a bunch of fancy terms in that that filled it full of crap, you got along well in terms of a score and it didn't have to be quite as accurate. But I think we've evolved where when I'm taking them, it just accuracy probably is is number one. Well, you are listening to the guy that has the most creative, fanciest terms in the history of livestock judging, probably. But also, we hope accurate. <laughs> and that's my whole thing. But when I use them, they I think they're pretty dead on and accurate. But also, I would rather you just come in and describe those animals accurately and, you know, tell me all the big things on that animal and give me two reasons why that one goes over the next one. I would rather you describe the animal more and give me just a couple of reasons on why that one should beat the next one instead of giving me this one. One goes over two because of da 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 but you didn't say much about one. Do you understand what I'm saying now? I, I want you I want you to paint the picture of that animal for me. Paint me that picture of each one of those animals. This is good because I, I was just getting into that when I was coaching at the very end and, and now working with my daughter and, and others when I, I jump in to insert my two cents. I When I'm listening to Reasons, Ryan, I could not agree with you more. You come in and describe those four animals to me rather than the old traditional sense. You're going to convince me that one's better than two and two's better than three and and all of those things, if you can paint that picture and describe the good and the bad of each of them, I could, I'm not saying I could care less how you place them, but if you describe them accurate, I'm good with it. I can go with it. Don't do the old school. You're going to convince me that you're right and I'm wrong if we have a pair of switch or a simple bus from each other. It's not going to work. I, I could not agree more. I think thing now, and again, this goes into training them more to be a better evaluator when they actually get sent out into the real world ring. Paint that picture. Describe those animals as much as you can in the allotted time. Give me a few highlights on why they should beat the other one. And then let it go. Because you can describe an animal accurately a lot more readily and easily. And then you can convince me that one beats two because of X, Y, and Z. Because if I don't agree with your philosophy, the X, Y, and Z of it all, you're only hurting yourself. And you'd be better off just describing those animals to me and painting the picture. And the odds of that competitor, that person, livestock judging contestant, getting it correct on why you're the same reasons you're going to use one to beat two is, is slim. Slim to none. Yeah, it just and that's what we try to, I mean, a lot of times... We're trying to do it. There's lots of reasons in those contests in a class four why they need to be placed that way. But what I feel are the big reasons why one should go over two and what you feel like the reasons one should go may not be the same, even though that does need to happen. So you're setting yourself up for a trap there, in my opinion. No, and and the chances of you, if you're seeing that animal honestly and accurately, correctly, the chance of you describing the animal is much greater that we're going to hit that with the official than convincing him why we're not bringing priorities into play. We're not bringing some of these fine personal preferences into play. We're just describing the stock. And that can be done, even though it's still subjective. And I used to caution my students that be careful how deep you go into talking structural correctness and movement because 
If there's a committee of three or four officials and you advise a student to, to break down structural soundness and movement, the only problem with that is, unless there's a large difference, those three or four officials may not agree with which one's the best moving or which one's better moving off their hind legs than the other. Unfortunately, those things are subjective and variable. And my concern with it is, unless it's a big difference that's easy to bring out, you're throwing a dart at a moving dartboard. If you hit it, it's a home run. But you're also opening yourself up that that official may not agree. And you may be right and the official may be wrong. I'm not saying officials are incompetent or unqualified, but you're, you're opening yourself up to a little more risk. I was pretty successful in the reasons room. And I think two things that I did different back in those days than anybody else that made me more successful is I would find the one structural thing in all those pairs or all those animals that I thought that 95% of the people would agree on. And I would talk that pretty extensively. And I had a lot of people say, you know, you talk structure more than most because I was afraid what you said, if we didn't see it the same, then they're going to think I'm inaccurate. But I would try to find, at least in that class, if not, I couldn't find something in all four of the animals that I thought everybody could agree on structurally. I would try to find one or two highlights. The other thing is, is I did do a lot more of just describing the animal as completely as I could than most other people did. And in truth, Ryan fashion, I didn't let a whole lot of people know about it then because that wasn't something that would have been looked highly upon by your coaches or mentors or anything like else. I just did things when I went in there. And so those are two things that I think I did differently that helped out a lot. And so I see your points on that. And I, again, I completely agree with you. So if you are going to talk structure, and I do think I, I love it when a kid comes in and talks structure and does it correctly and accurately. But if you are going to talk structure, try to find the one or two things in that class that 95% of the people, not only on that committee, but out there in the industry can agree on. No, I think that's, that's great advice. And I love, Ryan, that you brought out uh, that you were a little bit different at that time. And I can assure you that when you were going in there and describing those differences, uh, rather than trying to convince them that one needs to be two and, and why and hope that their priorities are in line, that scored you a lot of points. I'm not saying that everything else you were doing wasn't beneficial as well, but different is good. And I'm not saying we need to step completely out of the box, but when you're listening to that many sets, and Ryan and I have discussed this on an earlier episode, somebody comes in that in in, in does it in a manner that comes across across in a pleasant, accurate, a little bit different, wakes you up, not the same things you've been hearing all day. It gets your attention and it works. Um, do not come across condescending or arrogant, but rather confident and pleasant and a touch different. And I, th- I think like you, like you've stressed a couple of times throughout this podcast, and this is something that we didn't bring up on the other one, but you are never going to convince that person sitting in that chair, taking those reasons that's going to give you that score that you were right and they were wrong it's just i i mean i'm not saying that it has not happened before because i'm sure it has but it's definitely very 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 rare and now more than ever i think those battle lines are drawn even more in the sand than before and so i think 
that we need to kind of err on the caution of that. I mean, I am all for confidence, but I know a lot of kids, and you know, this goes into showmanship too. Some I know a lot of kids that I, I've told them, whether they're in the reasons room or in a showmanship contest, that I'm all for this because I like it that you're confident and you're assertive and you know and you've got that look. I'm going to caution you that not all people in my position will be as accepting of this. So you might want to dial it back just a shade under other people. For me, it works, but for everybody, it may not. I think that's a great point and and really, really solid. If I'm a, a reasons taker, and, and just what Ryan had talked about there, one thing you can do, you may not be able to convince that reason taker that you're right within that pair or, or any pair within that class. But what you can do, if you approach it in the proper manner, you can get them to like you as a person. And we did talk about this. And if somebody comes in that first few seconds and I get this positive vibe or feeling from them that, hey, I like this, this one as a person, I'm usually listening for the good things they're going to say. If they come in and hit me too arrogant or cocky or something doesn't hit me right, I tend to listen for the inaccuracies. And and that I'm not saying this is right, but it's the real world and, it, and it's human and it's what happens. No, and not only just if you can strike a good vibe or get a personal connection with that person, but and against the other way, like you said, if they come in and you feel like they're arrogant or that they don't care or they are scattered, that, not that is focused. the best one. Maybe maybe if they and you see it so much in the high school level, they come in, they don't care. That doesn't work very well. And the scattered and not focused is the same, yeah. and like all those things. And so, like, I, I, th- I don't, I, I don't think this is. And again, the people coaching right now are so good at what they do, but I do not think that that is something that is brought up enough. That it, from the time you open the door, you're being judged till the time you leave. And I could list a countless examples of. People that have, you know, really struck a chord with me or really turned me off before they ever opened their mouth or even after they closed and got done something they did walking out the door. And uh, that is exactly right. And it seems crazy, but it's the truth. And I just don't think that's emphasized enough. And if those coaches are emphasizing that, it's not getting through to their kids is the best way that I can put it. No, I would agree. So we, we talked a little bit about the past and, and kind of where we're at in the present. Just real briefly where we see livestock judging going in the future and we're dealing with COVID and that's causing issues, but budgeting and financing to, to get these teams to contest, there's a lot of changes taking place and it's always a struggle to make sure that we have the budget we need to travel and, and so forth. But I think as we look to the future, the types and kinds will continue to evolve along with reason styles. Those things will always change. The bottom line is the actual placing and describing of four animals is a tool to develop discipline, well-spoken, professional young men and women. This is simple, and it needs to continue with as much support as possible. I'll fight to keep this as strong as it has been, and it, it is something that I don't believe we can get through other avenues 
And I know we're going to continue to have to fight and we probably have fewer livestock judging teams at the collegiate level now than maybe we had 30 years ago. And I, I know it fluctuates, but I, I sure hope this activity and, and Ryan can, can testimate, testify to it as well. It changed my life and it took me down a path that I'm in right now. And I'm very happy with that path. And I think it's done the same for a lot of people out there and it's opened a lot of doors. And Ryan briefly mentioned the connections that you make. We can talk about should we place these animals like we would in a show ring or the real world? Should we train them to, to figure out where it fits into the breed or the industry or just where it fits in with that class? Those all things we can discuss forever. And I don't know there is a right answer, but the right answer is we're training young people to be professional and to succeed in life. Similar to what we see in the show ring, similar to what we see in other activities, but this is a key component because the commitment and the competition level is so high. If you're striving to be the best, it is going to make significant improvements on your life long term. You know, rah, 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 amen, and God bless America to everything you just said. But I want to focus on where we go from here. And I do think, just like I've been preaching since this pandemic started, once again, it is going to take all of us to make these opportunities happen for these kids in the show ring and in these judging contests. And, you know, thankfully, Kansas City and Louisville are going to go through. And that is great. But as we move on past this and until, you know, even when we get a pan, even when we get a therapeutic and a vaccine, I still think that there's going to be a little unshakiness here for a while. And so what we're going to have to do more than ever is if we want livestock judging to continue, I think that some of us that have the ability to host contests privately on our private owned property that have that much space and also, you know, have access to whatever animals we raise, but also are in an area that you can get other species around. There's going to have to be some of that happen. And uh, again, we're going to have to step up and make sure these things happen for these kids. And Dale and I discussed that if Kansas City and Louisville were not going to go through this year, we were going to find a way to put on a judging contest if somehow we are thankful that those contests were going on, but we were already prepared that we were going to find a way to have a contest. Granted, it wasn't going to be the National College Senior College Judging Team Championship, but it was going to be a contest of some kind. And so that's just something for everybody to put in the back of their mind because this problem isn't going to evaporate on November 4th or after we get a vaccine or a therapeutic. It's going to get a lot better. And I think within a year, yeah, we're probably going to be you know, as close to normal as we're ever going to be again. But a year's a long time, especially in a judging contest scenario. These kids only have one year. Very, very well spoken. And there are people stepping up on private ground and in different farms hosting those, just like we see in the replacement shows. Maybe it'll even evolve that that we have more contests and, and workout simulated contests to go to in the future. And that'd be great because think about all the time and effort that goes into this. And maybe just a handful of contests that these students actually compete in. So it's let's hope that this can all take a positive turn, and, and we're very thankful, very, very thankful that Louisville and Kansas City are doing what they can. And I'm sure there's going to be some restrictions. I'm sure it won't be quite normal. 
but we're happy to have it and we're going to oblige whatever protocols they have in place. We do it. We don't complain. If you do complain, make sure it's to the gay. Snap him and put that complaint. He'll he'll respond. I, I am now Del Hummel's complaint department for all things <laughs> that, that just any, any issues you have, snap Ryan. He'd love to hear it. Okay, Ryan, before we go into question and answer, uh, you and I had discussed earlier that we're open to bringing on sponsors and we'll slowly include such into the podcast. Yeah, that was like three months ago, but sure, Dale. Yes, and we, sometimes we get distracted and, and don't, don't focus in, in the direction that, that you and I know we should, especially myself. But the, the focus Ryan and I both agreed upon is we want to bring on sponsors that we feel comfortable endorsing rather than just promoting something that we have no knowledge of or don't believe in ourselves or don't get behind 100%. As we bring in sponsors, I hope those of you as listeners that enjoy this podcast will reach out and, and give those sponsors a, a chance to prove themselves. And today's sponsor for the question and answer segment is Pope Joy Livestock Transportation. Ryan can attest that I may be a bit anal and difficult to work with at times if everything no. isn't done in, in a certain way. No. Yeah, I am a little bit. Oh, my. It's, I never perfect, sensed that got that from you at it, all. It's there. This is a perfect example. It's difficult for me to put one of these little show prospects on a trailer for somebody to haul to this young person that just invested a large sum of money or not so large sum. Either way, it's very important to them that that animal shows up in as good a shape as it left. And I have complete faith in Pope Joy Livestock Transportation that they're going to get this done and they understand the responsibility they're taking on to get from point A to B. I've personally worked with Stephen for the past couple of years. I have zero reservations putting any of our prospects in his care. Stephen Pope Joy's located Star City, Indiana. Pope Joy Livestock Transportation makes trips East Coast, West Coast, and Texas, and everywhere in between. I encourage you to reach out to Stephen or his wife, Sarah, for your stock show hauling needs. They will not disappoint. Contact and, and route hauling information can be, out, be found on their Facebook page under Pope Joy Livestock Transportation. All I got to say is they got to way better at that than I would be hauling. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna endorse them because I don't need to do it. So I have full faith in them. And it's amazing. And this is a business that's continued to grow and, and there's a lot of people out there hauling livestock and, and Pope Joys at this point aren't hauling cattle, but they're hauling the, the other species and there's different ones that target specific species. And I'm sure there's good ones out there, but there's some that aren't so good and it's difficult and it's frustrating when you're on the other end and those animals come in and, and maybe aren't in as good a shape as they can be, but at least somebody, and there's there's always a chance something's going to go wrong, but putting them in the hands of somebody that actually feels that level of responsibility and does everything they can, it makes a difference. And Stephen and Sarah, thank you for sponsoring the question and answer. Ryan, are you ready for question and answer? Of course I am. I was born ready. Hello. Nicole Ryder submits a question. Ryan, what is the best method to reach out to you for someone wanting to hire you for a show and how much does it cost to get you to judge time out here i am time out mm-hmm. this is a family that i actually work with i see nothing in this question about hiring me to sort of show i think it's sexism well i'm sorry about that but maybe it's just because i'm more fabulous than you but anyway i i, I think that you you are very popular at the moment Oh, at the moment. Thanks for your <laughs> Remember, trends blowing endorsement there, Dale, and full changed. faith and confidence. <laughs> no, I, I would endorse you to go out and sort any show of any species pretty quickly. 
But, but give give these people an idea. And, and I mean, we hear that you're judging shows across the country, but how do we get in touch with you? I, I, I feel like sometimes I'm your personal secretary. I get a text <laughs> saying, hey, Dale, I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of Ryan. I'd like him to judge this in this show. Can you help me out? And I'm thinking, time out. I'm, I'm not his secretary. I'll give you his number, but here you go. The most effective way to get me is text. And I know everybody doesn't have my phone number. I will be more than happy to give it out here. It's 979-229-1549. I respond to text just as quick as I possibly can. Uh, A lot of people contact me through Facebook messaging, and I do my very best to answer all of them. Unfortunately, since I am maxed out on Facebook friends, a lot of those get directed to a spam folder, and so I don't see them right away. But the easiest and the best way is to text me. That is my number. Also, if you can look up my info on Facebook, my number is on there. If you want to go through Beyond the Rings Messenger, some people have done that. But I would say text is the easiest and the most effective way. I do try to look at social media. I mean, a bunch of people Snapchat me because anybody can Snapchat. And they say, hey, we're looking for a judge. And they give me their number and I text them back. As far as what it takes to get me there, uh, I've had the same theory that I've had since this began. When they tell me where their show is, what the date, how long the show's going to be, I figure out what it's going to cost me in terms of travel, hotels, if I have to rent a car, etc. I give them that figure. And then after my expenses, whatever that show wants to pay me for my time, that's up to them. I don't have a set fee. And so that's how I do it. I am fairly popular right now. So if you are interested, I mean, like, I can't tell you in the past five days, I've had 10 shows contact me wanting me to judge a show before the end of the year. And I have been booked from like September till the end of the year for probably over three months now. And so the earlier you can contact me, the better. Uh, Weekends are tough because most shows are on the weekends. Uh, During the week, I am fortunate that I have a pretty good gig in the fact that I can travel a lot during the week and still do the things that uh, I am responsible for in terms of our business while I'm traveling. And so during the week's not as hard weekends are a little bit of a challenge sometimes. So the earlier you can contact me, the better. That's my number. Again, my number is listed on my Facebook as well. I don't think it's on my Instagram. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not as good at checking Instagram messages. So I would say text, Facebook message, or Snapchat. And I believe I did list your number on Beyond the Ring. You are the contact person on Beyond the Ring. Your number should be on that Facebook page. There you go. Excellent. Everybody, get, Ryan needs a show about every day going into 2021. Thank so I you so much. To call, to, to, and he does enjoy, does a great job. I, I get a lot of compliments. Hey, Ryan was, was at our show. I really enjoyed him. Sometimes there, there's more compliments than I, than I need, but they're, they're good. They're always positive. Um, there Catherine are Horrell. people that do not compliment me. I promise there, you there are. Dale, if, and, and let me tell you something. If you don't have compliments about me, please contact Dale. He would love to hear them. I would. He delights I would love in to hear it. Them. 
So, and that, that kind of takes us into the next question. Catherine Horrell, Horrell states, what is and is not appropriate to say to a judge if you choose to visit with them, he or she, after the show? That's a real good question. It uh, is. I think probably the things that are appropriate, every show is different and every circumstance is different. I know that every judge that goes into the ring tries their best to explain the reasons on why the animals are placed the way they are. There's a lot of times that the sound system isn't good or you're standing on the side of the ring where the speaker isn't it, there, you can't hear, etc. I have no problem if anybody wants to come up to me after a show and as long as they are truly not hostile or have attitude and they want me to explain again why their animal was there were, or they asked me, I get asked this a lot, what can we do to improve our animal? And, you know, there are some things, there's lots of animals out there that you can do things to improve them. Unfortunately, sometimes if it's a structural problem, there's not going to be as many things that I can give you that are able to fix that. But if you want to come up and ask for what can I do to improve on my animal what I couldn't, I didn't understand. And all the times people are like, I didn't understand what you were saying. And I get that. And so if they ask me, you know, to explain to them again, why their animals placed where they were, how to improve on showmanship, I think that's all perfectly fine. Where I have issues, and granted, this hasn't happened a lot, but where I have issues, and most of these aren't person in, you know, face-to-face, deals it gets on social media and stuff like that i have issues when people just want to talk shit or be mad and be upset because again like i say at most of the shows i judge today is my opinion you have an opinion and everybody's standing around ringside's opinion dale has an opinion and that day at that given show whoever the man or woman is that has the microphone and standing in the center, that's the opinion you're going to have to deal with, respect, and it's going to be official. And if we all had the same opinion, there would be one show a year, and there's not a whole lot of fun in that. So the only things that I say are off limits is coming up and being rude and being hostile and stuff like that. Very well put. I don't, I don't think I would change anything, Ryan, that, that describes it well. Anything positive or if you want a, some constructive encouragement from that judge in a little more detail, if, if they can, they're more than happy to usually oblige. As long as we stay away from anything negative, I think it's perfectly appropriate. No, no issues whatsoever. Yeah, as long as you don't come question them in terms of like, I think you were wrong or you know stuff like that. They're the authority that day. And so if you want them to explain more or you want constructive criticism or you just, you know, want to come up and talk and chat. That's great. Leave the attitude at the show box. And is it okay if they come up and ask for a signature? Uh, yes, Dale, of course. I always, I'm thrilled to take selfies and do all that with everybody. I do it at every show. So yes, they can come up. Excellent. Excellent. Always. Okay. Noel Peters has a question for us. When first getting started in a new, Show stock species, what is the best method to educate yourself? 
like a brand new showman. Starting I think off. I think you're maybe maybe a swine showman going into sheep. Oh, okay, or a cow okay, showman going okay. Into- uh, I'm with you. Uh, I think the best thing to do is again, you know, you're going to have some general knowledge about livestock if you've shown before wherever, and this goes back to like we've said on several podcasts. Wherever you go and purchase that animal, I think you need to make sure that if you're somebody that's transitioning from one species to the other, make sure that that person that you purchase from is somebody that knows that, understands that, because there is a big difference in feeding and maintaining the different species. So they can direct you because, you know, feeding a show stare is completely different than feeding a show lamb and vice versa. Uh, I think one of the things that you can do is go to those shows. A lot of times at those bigger events, they have stock show you clinics. I don't know if they have them in all. The, I know at cattle, they almost have, if you're transitioning cattle, those stock show you clinics are very helpful. Uh, go, and I, with COVID and stuff now, I don't know how many there were of these, but I know there are camps that, Kids can go to, adults can go to. Those will probably open up more in the future after COVID's not as big a deal. I also think you can just do research online. And, I mean, things like that are the things that I would do. But the biggest thing that I would stress is when you are going to look for this animal, you say, hey, I show sheep. My kid wants to feed a steer. So I'm limited on the knowledge. I w- if I buy one from you, can you kind of hold my hand through the beginning? Not completely dumb, not a total rookie, but can you give me as much guidance as possible? And I think you'll be better off. Great, great answer. And I, I think it, it's simple. You surround yourself with those that have had success and are willing to help you. That may be a breeder. That may be a neighbor. It may be a show camp or somebody you met there, an acquaintance. Whoever has the knowledge and is willing to help, gather as much knowledge as you can. From a breeder perspective, I do something very simple after somebody purchases an animal from us. I have a protocol of exactly what we're doing in our barn. I email that out to that client. They can use it. They can throw it away. They can do anything they want with it. They can text me. They can ask any questions about it, but but just gather information such as that. And you don't, it may not be all perfect and you may need to adapt it to what works best from you. But the more information and the more you can surround yourself with good people that have had a proven track record, the more success you're going to have. Yes, sir. With that, Ryan, I think it's been a, a good episode. I enjoyed our, our question and answer. A good topic. Didn't necessarily agree on maybe some looking at animals live versus carcass, but it's all good. And I very much look forward to next week. Be safe. Y'all come back now. You here? <laughs>